Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Sawadikap. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today we're going to be discussing chapter 21 in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. This chapter is titled, Do No Harm, What is the Future of the Planet? And so far in this program, this group learning program, we've been discussing a lot of different topics. If you remember back to chapter one, we discussed the three universal teachings of universal love of all beings, do no harm, and be a good moral person. And there we talked about how all of these various teachings of the Buddha, Jesus Christ, Prophet Muhammad, and a lot of other traditions throughout the world are essentially teaching these same three universal teachings of universal love of all beings, do no harm and be a good moral person. And then as we progressed in this program, we started talking about all these other teachings related to training the mind, particularly in relationships with people. We talked about right intention, about how the mind needs to practice harmlessness. We talked about right speech, about how to ensure we're not causing harm with our speech or our actions. And we progressed through this program all the way to this point where we're at chapter 21, pretty much five or six months later. And we've primarily been speaking about training the mind as it relates to relationships and interacting with people and other beings in the world. But now we're going to focus our attention on how these teachings apply to something like the planet. Because while the planet itself is not a being, oftentimes we refer to the planet as Mother Earth, right? That's a kind of a common thing that we do throughout society. And we look to this planet to provide us certain things, certain resources. This is where we get our food and our water and our sunshine and the air that we breathe and all kinds of things that we need as a human society to sustain our life in this world. So this natural law of gamma, cause and effect or action and result, essentially the result of our decisions, it applies everywhere. It's a natural law. It's not just in relationships that this applies to. And what we've talked about in relationship to the natural law of gamma is how when we do good, wholesome things, we make good, wholesome decisions, good, wholesome things come back to us and we experience wholesomeness in our life. And when we make unwholesome decisions, then unwholesome things come back to us. Well, that applies not only in our relationships with people, but it also applies to the planet as well. And at this point in our evolution of a species, 
and our ability to understand the planet and the environment and the things around us, it's pretty well known throughout the world that our planet has been harmed due to human activity. Now, in a lot of venues and a lot of places, some people might consider this topic discussing the planet and climate change as a political issue. I don't consider it a political issue. And for anyone who knows me any amount, you know that I don't talk about politics because I don't have a need to discuss politics. But there is a need to discuss the planet and the condition of the planet, because in order for all of us humans to be able to attain enlightenment, which is the goal of these teachings for the entire world to attain enlightenment, we need a planet to be able to sustain our life. Without life-sustaining resources on this planet and a planet that can sustain human life, the humans that are here and the humans that are yet to come will not be able to sustain their life in a way that's conducive to helping them progress towards enlightenment. Because if we don't have clean water, we don't have clean air, we have problems getting food and resources to sustain our life, then there's going to be so much time and effort dedicated to that, that there's not going to be time and effort dedicated to learning and practicing teachings to train the mind and cultivate the mind. And the body will become more and more polluted where the life expectancy will get shorter and shorter and shorter, where people won't have as much time to learn and practice these teachings to attain enlightenment. So it's important that we look at this topic of climate change in the planet, not as a political topic and one that needs to be enraging or create arguments or anything like this, but as a conscious individual who's learning and practicing teachings, that the whole core of these teachings is all about harmlessness and not causing harm to other beings. And the core of these teachings is all about loving kindness, this active goodwill towards other beings and compassion or concern for others' misfortune. Any being that is interested in this path to enlightenment and progressing on this path needs to look at how these same teachings apply to the planet as well. Because through us understanding harmlessness and that our actions have indeed harmed this planet, we can then accept responsibility for that, knowing that that's in the past and now move forward to improve our decisions, which will improve the results. So from the time that I was a child until now, I've seen drastic changes in the planet. And for anybody who's been alive for any period of time, you know that you've seen those kind of things too. I remember as a child when I was in second grade, you know, skipping school, second and third grade with my buddy that, you know, we didn't really have any money to take care of ourselves when we were skipping school and going around the woods and doing different things. So we would just reach down and drink water out of the creek and the creek was clear water and we could do that and didn't think twice about it. And this was in a metropolitan area. But that same creek today, I'm sure if I went back there, there's just absolutely no way that anybody could drink from that. You know, that was back in the 80s. So that was like 35, 40 years ago when we were doing that. And there's other aspects of things that have transpired that we just aren't seeing the cleanliness in the resources that we need in the world to really provide us what we need to sustain our life. 
And anybody who's listening to this, anybody who's participating in this class, we've all been people who have contributed to the degrading of our planet. Everybody has. I remember times where I've done things growing up that I wasn't aware at that particular time that I was causing harm to the world, right? When I was growing up, I was taught by my parents as we were driving down the road at eight years old, 10 years old, we would be eating food, fast food, and when we were done, we'd just throw the trash out the window. And that was kind of how we handled it back in the 80s. But then as time went on and we started learning that this decision, this unwholesome decision of throwing trash out of the car was polluting our country, polluting our community, our neighborhood, and we should stop doing that. And more and more and more people stopped doing those things. Growing up as a teenager, getting my first car and changing the oil in the car, we were taught that you just dump the oil in the woods or you just dump it in the sewer or what have you. And in doing so, that's just the way we were taught growing up because that's what everyone else was doing. But then as we grew and we learned how these things were impacting the world, we learned that there are specific places that we need to ensure that we dump this oil so that it doesn't get put into the environment. But for so many years, so many decades, all of us humans have done things to our environment without realizing that we are actually causing this harm. And as you have understood, hopefully in the past about the natural law of gamma, whether you're aware of the natural law of gamma or not, it's still going to affect you. The fact that we were unaware at that time of throwing trash out our windows and dumping oil in communities, that that was causing harm. We just did it because that's the way we thought we would do it because that's the way everyone was doing it. We weren't thinking about the planet back then and understanding how we were harming it. But this natural law of gamma is always there. Just like the natural law of gravity, it affects us whether we're aware of it or not. This natural law of gamma is if we make unwholesome decisions, then that's going to come back to us. And what we're seeing right now in the world is we're seeing a planet, a world that has endured a tremendous amount of human activity where we've drastically changed the face of the planet. And because of all those changes and all this human activity that we've done, we've harmed the planet and we're harming our home. And because of that, now these things are coming back to us to harm us. And here we've got COVID. We're in a perfect time to see that, that we cause harm to all these animals. And because of that, this harm has come to us by way of this virus that is spreading and killing all of us humans and whoever has complications from this virus. There's massive amount of death attributed to this virus. And there's people in the world that lack resources of water or food or clothing or shelter. And all of these things are because the entire humanity is not practicing this one simple teaching of do no harm or practicing harmlessness, which is part of the Buddhist teachings. Now, during the lifetime of the Buddha, 2,500 years ago, from what I have seen, he hasn't really said anything about taking care of the planet and the natural resources and things like that. Doesn't mean that it's not somewhere in the Pali Canon because the Pali Canon is 45 large volumes of books and I haven't read every single word that we have from the Pali Canon. 
and every single thing that the Buddha ever said is not in the Pali Canon. So he could have been talking about certain things related to the planet, but we do know that he was talking about harmlessness and doing no harm. And we can see clear as day with our own eyes that as we cause harm to the planet, this is now coming back to us. We have more pollution in our environment than any other time in the history of the world. Whether we look at our seas or our rivers, whether we look at our air quality, whether we look at the soil and all the things that we see in the world, we're seeing all kinds of harm that we've caused. In fact, I've even seen research where they've taken fish out of wild rivers that are considered to be very clean rivers in the United States of America. And they've taken these fish and they've tested their meat and they found over 180 different substances in the meat. They found things like antidepressants and other pharmaceutical drugs that us humans have created and developed and we've discarded into our environment either by flushing them into the toilet or discarding them in some other way. They even found cocaine in the body of these fish in these wild rivers, these streams that these fish have only ever been in these wild streams. So there's chemical after chemical and substance after substance that we've put into the world, which is now coming back to us and causing a lot of concern in the world. And we're kind of teetering on this edge of where potentially the damage that we caused is going to essentially be irreversible in a number of so many years. And as we become more conscious, we become more enlightened, we become more aware of our harms that we're causing in the world, we need to become aware of the harms that we're causing through our individual decision making. And this path, as you know, through studying it this far, is all about individual decisions. There's plenty of people in the world that are going to make lots and lots of decisions, and they're going to make decisions that are either similar to us or different than us. However, as conscious individuals that are moving towards this enlightened mental state, a higher consciousness, where we function with a better understanding of the world around us, we need to bring our mind to understand that it's our individual decisions that we make on a day-to-day -day basis, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, and we can actually improve our life practice by making better decisions. You may not be in the position where you can implement certain policies or procedures that affect large populations of people, millions and millions of people. You're not in that situation right now, most likely, but you can affect your decisions and what you do in the world and how you interact and either cause harm to the world or not. And there's lots of things that you're probably already doing or things that you're considering doing that would be really beneficial for the planet. And you don't have to wait for other people to make these decisions for you. You can make those decisions. And what I would like to do is kind of guide this talk into more of a discussion where you can perhaps share some things that either you're currently doing to make better and better decisions based on things that you've learned in order to not cause harm to the planet 
or things that you're considering doing and you maybe would like to share with our community and our group because then as a group we can kind of think about those things and maybe make those individual decisions for ourselves. Some things that you see different people doing around the world is now we know that these plastic bags that we use in shopping are causing lots and lots of harm in the world and more and more places in the world are starting to ban plastic bags. And whether those bags are banned in your communities or not, you can still actually choose on your own to use reusable bags and go out shopping. Whether you're going to a market or you're going to some other place, you can choose to no longer use plastic bags, which would be an enormous benefit for the world. Thailand recently banned these about six months ago, actually maybe longer than that, almost a year ago now, where they went through a national campaign where they slowly kind of gave people the choice to either have a bag at their local retailer or not. And if you didn't take a bag, the money that was normally spent for the purchase of that bag went to a well-known hospital in Bangkok, which is the Queen's Hospital, which is dedicated to taking care of women. And over the course of a few months, the entire country was able to amass an enormous amount of money that went to this hospital in order to benefit the hospital and contribute to the resources that they have at the hospital. And then over time, all the different retailers gradually stopped using bags because more and more people were choosing not to use bags as a way of contributing money to this hospital. And this was a national campaign that started out with just one business that everybody participates in going to this business regularly, but then a lot of other businesses kind of followed suit. But even with that, here in Thailand, a lot of the local retailers at markets and things like this still use plastic bags. So one of the things that my family does is we still use reusable bags, whether we're going to one of our retailers or whether we're going to the market down the street, we will always take a reusable bag with us so that when the local merchant goes and grabs a plastic bag to put our products in there, we let them know that's okay, we've already got a bag. So we can, as a family, minimize our impact to the planet by not using plastic bags. And this is a really easy one that some of you guys, I'm sure, are probably already doing or you're considering doing. If you're not, you can actually implement this really easily. But there's a lot of other things that we can be doing, too. And I would like to kind of turn this talk into a discussion where Max and Bill and others can share ideas of things that you either have considered doing or you're currently doing or things that you've seen others do that we can all kind of consider and maybe improve our life practice as a way of improving how we interact in the world. Because as we make these good, wholesome decisions to minimize our footprint in the world, this is only going to benefit us and all the people after us that will come and need to inhabit this planet in order to learn and progress on this path to enlightenment and sustain their life here. So I'd like to just pause here and kind of turn things over to Max, our moderator. So if you're on Facebook, YouTube, or in Zoom, you can type your thoughts and comments into the comment section and Max can share that. Or if you would like to come into our Zoom virtual classroom, you can share live by just raising your hand and Max can unmute you and then you can 
share your thoughts live through talking in our Zoom classroom. So I'll go ahead and turn things over to you, Max, and take it away from there. Okay, thank you, David. So first of all, I'd like to read a comment from Judith. Judith says, I love cotton bags to go shopping. And Judith is also interested in this idea of the circular economy. So this is where you buy used clothes. And uh, she mentions that she does a number of things, but feels that it's very difficult to contribute. Yeah, so oftentimes what we do is we think that as an individual, we have very little influence or very little power to really create any change because we have certain expectations that if we're going to make all these changes, we expect others to do the same thing. But remember, the Buddhist teachings are all about not having that expectation and just improving your own practice in your own life. So I agree with you, Judith, like reusing things like here in Thailand, secondhand clothing, secondhand cars, secondhand everything is really, really popular. And they really use things extensively here in Thailand. I remember my very first trip to Thailand, there was a carburetor that went bad in a car. In America, we would just chuck that carburetor out and buy a new one and have it replaced in a couple of hours. And this was back in 2002, one of my first trips to Thailand. But I observed these three men spend multiple hours, if not days, working on this carburetor to try to get it fixed and put back into the car rather than just disposing it. And they eventually got it fixed and put it back into the car and it worked because they had time. They had time to do that rather than just kind of disposing of this product and purchasing a new one. So what you're talking about is very important that we can reuse things. We don't always need to buy new. And it's important for us to realize to not have expectations of what other people should do. And don't look for this immediate impact because of what you do. Other people are going to do the same thing. A person with the wisdom of these teachings only needs to walk with wisdom and a smile. We don't need to force others to do what we do. We don't need to impress upon others to do certain things. We just need to know that we're making good conscious choices and this is the good thing to do. This is the right thing to do. Over time, by us making those good wholesome decisions, it will influence other people gradually over time. But when or how or if that happens, we shouldn't hold an expectation of that in the mind. So for example, two and a half years ago, I decided that, okay, I'm going to start sharing these teachings again. And as part of that, I needed to ramp up my practice and really improve my practice. And one of the things that I did is I chose to stop eating meat. At the time that I chose to stop eating meat, that was a personal decision for me. And I chose to stop eating meat because I knew that was the best thing for me. Well, now, two and a half years later, there's been tons and tons of people around me that have chosen to do the same thing. I didn't tell them to do it. I didn't force them to do it. I didn't require them to do it. But just my son observing me eat, my wife, other people in our community, a lot of the students that have been around me, there's just been more and more people that have chose that on their own. And that wasn't my goal at the time that I chose to stop eating meat. But because of that choice, it has influenced a lot of people and it will continue to influence a lot of people for the rest of my life. So while you're making these individual choices that you know are good and important for your practice and for the world, 
don't expect any particular result. Just do it because you know it's the right thing to do. And over time, more and more people will be influenced in a positive way. And those kind of things will have an effect. But if we hold on to expectations of wanting a certain effect, that's when the mind can become discontent or maybe think that uh, my personal decisions aren't really having that much of an impact. But I tell you that they really do. Like when I go into the markets and we're taking reusable bags with us and going into the market, the local people see that, the local merchants see that, and the local people see that. And more and more, these kind of things influence people. And you actually influence people a lot of times without even realizing that you're doing it. For example, if you post something in Facebook, you might get two or three likes of people who react to your post, but there might be 50 or 100 people that actually read that and were influenced by it, but you just don't know it and you're not aware of it. And that's why you've got to know with wisdom what is the right things to be doing and just do those good, wholesome things regardless of how other people respond around you or whether they're influenced around you. And the way to do that is just eliminate any expectation that you have about what should or shouldn't happen as a result of your decisions. Okay, we have a comment from Amina. In our family, we compost food scraps and take canvas bags when we go shopping at the markets. We would like to do more and are interested in ideas from the group. This is very interesting topic too, Amina, because one of the things that I saw when I was doing some research for this chapter is I saw that the vast majority of the climate experts and the people who are looking at this very, very closely say that there's one thing that every single human on the planet could do today that would drastically improve our climate today. And that one thing is that we don't waste food, is that when we have food, that we eat everything on our plate, so to speak, which we were kind of taught as children anyway, right? Like clear off your plate, eat everything on your plate, right? Because what I saw is that the production of food, the harvesting of food, the transportation of food, you know, the gas and transportation, the packaging of food, the selling at the merchant, the then going to, you know, buy the food, take it home, prepare it, and all the resources, all the natural resources and human energy that's used for our food supply is enormous. And what the researchers shared is about 40% of the planet's food goes to waste. And they said that if we just improved that, that we would reduce the amount of pollution and activity on the planet significantly if we were just eat all of our food and ensure that less and less food goes to waste. Not only did I look at that and how it would improve the climate, but I also looked at the statistics of the number of people who die every year as a result of starvation. And I was shocked. 9.1 million people a year die on this planet from starvation. That's an enormous number. I mean, we're kind of up in arms right now about COVID and how many people have been affected and die of COVID. But this number, 9.1 million people a year die of starvation every single year. And that 40% of food waste 
would be more than enough to feed these people. So if we just all made one decision today is ensure that the food that we purchase, whether it's at a market or at a restaurant or some other place, that we ensure that we're applying our best effort to not waste food in the world, this would drastically cut down on the pollution that we have in the world and it would significantly help these hungry people who need food in order to sustain their life. So by you doing the composting of the food waste, it's great because it returns it back to the earth. But the goal would be that we actually get to a point where we're not even needing to really do that much. Of course, there's always going to be some amount of waste, right? We can't eat 100% of everything we produce because that would be permanence and it doesn't exist. But if we find this middle way where we're purchasing fresh food, we're preparing food or whatever we're doing with food is we make sure that we aren't wasting food. Sometimes we used to say when we were kids that your eyes are bigger than your stomach, right? Sometimes when you're really, really hungry, you sit down at a restaurant and you order all this food and then when it comes, you only eat a little bit of it. Well, we can take food home and we can ensure that we're not wasting food or when we prepare food at home, make sure that we're not wasting it. And this one thing alone will drastically improve a lot of aspects of our environment. And there was a statistic given about by everybody not wasting food, it is the equivalent of taking like X number of cars off the street. And it was an enormous number. I don't remember the number of cars, but it was in the millions that by us just ensuring that we don't waste food, it's the equivalent of taking something like 20 million cars off the street on a daily basis. And this would be phenomenal for our planet. And the beauty about our planet is whether we call this Mother Earth or whatever we call it, the Earth is very resilient. We saw during the initial time of COVID when everybody went inside and we stopped being very active with flights and transportation and things like that. Like in your country, Amina, in Italy, we saw the canals in Venice like clear out. We saw dolphins coming in. We saw sea turtles. We saw lots of different environmental activity among animals improve. We also saw cities that are notoriously ridden with smog and pollution because the human activity over the course of a month or two or three drastically reduced, that smog went away. So if we all make changes on an individual basis, this mother earth is very resilient and she will repair herself. But if we keep going down the path that we're going, Mother Earth will spit us out in a heartbeat, right? There's nothing we can do to circumvent nature. I mean, nature's kind of putting up with us at this point in time. But if we continue down this path, Mother Earth will spit us out in a heartbeat. And eventually we'll get to that tipping point where Mother Earth can no longer support us and be able to provide what it is that we need to sustain life on this planet. So... These are some really good ideas. Be interested to hear some more as well. Okay, so our next comment comes from Rhonda. She says, we don't buy water in plastic bottles and we use cloth napkins and cleaning rags instead of paper towels. We also use reusable shopping bags. 
Very nice. That's very wonderful. Here in Thailand, we have our drinking water delivered to us. And they use those big plastic reusable bottles where they're refilling them. That's what we use for our drinking water here. And then we still have some of these around that I will fill up. You know, I fill them up with our big water downstairs. I've had this bottle for like probably two years and I just keep filling it up and filling it up over and over again. So yeah, those are great. I, the cloth rags is a wonderful idea because those are very sustainable and they last for a really long time. Rather than continuously chop down trees and produce paper towels, these cloth towels can provide a way to clean up messes and ensure that we have what we need to fulfill our duties. But we're changing our behavior. That's essentially what we're talking about here in this chapter is us humans need to change our behavior. And if you think about all of the Buddhist teachings, everything the Buddha teaches is all about changing our behavior, right? We go from this unenlightened mind to this enlightened mind with a higher consciousness. Essentially what it involves is changing human behavior. And that's what we're talking about today is no longer just doing what we did in the past because that's what we were taught as we were growing up. We're recognizing with wisdom the truth is that our behavior has gotten the planet into this harmful situation. And now through changing our behavior, we can improve the planet. And what you guys are discussing are conscious choices that you're making in order to improve your behavior. And through doing that, then we improve the condition of the world through the, the planet, improving its environment. So these are really good. What else you got, Max? We have a comment from Carol. She says, I buy my clothes at thrift stores or consignment shops. Wonderful. That's part of what Judith was talking about, too. Yeah. So these are all things that people are sharing that we can all decide to incorporate you know, what aspect of these that we feel are helpful. One of the wonderful things that I'm sure Carol already understands and Judith too, is there's some amazing clothes at these thrift stores. And not only are they amazing clothes, but they're really inexpensive, right? You know, I remember when I left America, donating an enormous amount of really high quality clothes to these thrift stores, you know, shirts that I might've paid $50 or $100 for, I'm sure they were going to sell them for a dollar or two in that store. And, you know, I hadn't worn it very many times. So not only are you helping the planet in this situation by buying clothes from a thrift store, but you're also helping yourself because now you don't have to work as hard in order to make money to go out and be a slave to some workforce where you're feeling the pressure of having to make a certain income, you can actually reduce your household expenses significantly by just choosing to go out and buy clothing that is secondhand clothing. And in some communities, you know, we're kind of taught that, you know, maybe that's not good or, you know, we're kind of left with a bad feeling about buying secondhand clothing. But if you train your mind to get away from that and not to have this self and self-image and self-identity and not really be so worried about those things, then you can make these choices that are going to help the planet, but also help you as well as a result. And you'll be able to still clothe yourself with perfectly wonderful clothing at a significant discount. 
And then the other attribute of that is a lot of these thrift stores are then using their money and donating it to help certain community activities in their community. So you're helping the planet, you're helping your own wallet, and you're helping the community that this money is being donated into the community to help various projects in the community. So it's just a a win, 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 like all over the place. So wonderful, Carol. And I know Judith shared the same thing as well. Great idea. I wish I could get these somewhere on second hand. <laughs> but unfortunately, I don't know anywhere in Thailand that sells these second hand, especially my size. There's not too many people my size walking around in Thailand. Okay, James, his hand is up. So let's go to you now, James. One thing that we've been doing is working on buying from retailers with sustainable practices because businesses are very reactive to customers. And if customers can shift their purchasing habits, then it can contribute to doing no harm, both in terms of the environment and in terms of benefiting workers. That's right. A lot of places like America, the UK and other countries around the world, businesses are starting to publish how they conduct their activities so that customers are aware that they're sustaining their business with a very low footprint in the environment. And when you see businesses like this, by you patronizing them, you're actually supporting them in their efforts to do that. So yeah, making good choices. I know I do that here in Thailand. There's certain restaurants that have you know cups like this, or they'll have plates in uh, silverware. And you can tell they're set up in a way that they're using reusable utensils and cups and plates. And I will tend to patronize those businesses where other businesses that are using like disposable products or things like that, I don't go to those places unless it's a real buying. So that's a a way that you can observe, not just if the company's telling you what they're doing, but you are conscious enough and you're aware enough of good practices that you can go into businesses and you can observe how they're conducting their activities in the business. And when you see good, wholesome practices, your choice to patronize that business is a way to support those good, wholesome practices. So yeah, that's wonderful. Okay, we have a comment from Biplop. He says, I'm afraid for the future of our planets and for our next generation. Well, that's a fear that you definitely need to let go of, Biplop, because you know we can only do what we can do. And while you may use that a little bit as a motivator, in order to motivate you in the direction of making good decisions, ultimately you've got to let go of any fear related to things like this or anything else in your life. We've got to understand that we can do what we can do. And that's what this talk is about, is recognizing that we can make good, wholesome choices. None of us are the prime minister or president or king of our country. And we're unable to make wide-scale decisions that affect millions of people. I don't think we have anybody here that is a CEO of a company of 5,000, 10,000, you know, 100,000 people. If we were in any of those positions, we have much more influence in our community and our ability to influence large populations of people. But even though we don't hold any of those positions right now, doesn't mean we're not going to be in those positions in the future. And it also doesn't mean that we shouldn't do nothing either. So by us making good, wholesome choices in our life, it does influence other people over time. So rather than just do nothing and be fearful about what's happening, 
one of the ways that you can transform that fear is to actually actively do things make good wholesome decisions to improve your way that you interact on this planet and ensure that you're doing no harm and by you doing that biblob what you'll see is slowly over time the people around you will become better and better as well because your decisions will start affecting more and more people around you so don't be fearful but just put things into action where you can make good wholesome decisions for your life and then if the people around you get influenced by that great if you end up having a partner or children they learn from you you know this younger generation now you know even like eight years old 12 years old 16 years old they are so much more aware of climate issues in the planet than i think any of us were at that age i had no thought about the climate at age eight or 16 or 18 or even 20 or 25 probably. But this younger generation, they know that the decisions that all of us make is going to affect their life because they're going to be around for another 60 or 80 years. And they're very much on top of this, this younger generation. We adults just kind of have to change our behaviors because we're the ones who are kind of got this leftover things that we're holding on to and our behaviors haven't changed because remember the unenlightened mind doesn't like change it wants to hold on it doesn't like impermanence that unenlightened mind doesn't like to change it likes to kind of get into its groove be complacent and just do the same old things that it always did but as you become more conscious and more enlightened and you get comfortable with impermanence and changing your behavior as part of this path, we can let go of these things that we did in the past and improve our behaviors and our decision making, which is going to improve the condition of the planet for future generations. But that's the best we can do unless we were in a position where we could influence large volumes of people. So just focus on your own individual decisions and where people ask you, you know, why are you bringing bags each time to the market? Oh, because this really helps our environment, you know, and you can share that with people and you'll be surprised at how that influences larger and larger groups of people. Okay, we have a comment from Judith. She says, I try to remember that nature has already packed my food because vegetables have peels. Yeah, this is a good thing, too. You know, one of the things that I think about is I remember when I was in America, a lot of the grocery stores do a lot of things with vegetables and fruits where they only select like the perfect looking vegetable or fruit or they'll put wax on it or they'll do certain things to the vegetables to make them look more appealing for purchasing. But what I notice here in Thailand, like the local merchants and local markets, is there's none of that. Like when we get an apple, like it's an apple, you know, there's no wax on it. It's not perfectly cultivated. You'll see potatoes that are looking odd looking shapes. You'll see different vegetables that look different ways. And this is common here. And they taste exactly the same as the vegetables and fruits that look different. So this kind of thing can be really helpful if as consumers, we look for places that, like James was saying, that follows and practices certain ways of activity that doesn't do these things to our food that requires us to only purchase the most beautiful produce 
or the ones that have wax on them that looks really shiny and all of these things because these are just extra steps and extra resources that are being used that really aren't needed. We can taste vegetables and nourish our body through vegetables that look different than what we're used to, right? Because these grocery stores that are trying to pick the perfect vegetables, once again, everybody's mind is craving permanence, right? The grocery stores and the consumers have a certain image or a certain expectation of what a apple should look like, what a banana should look like, what a potato or a carrot should look like. And the retailers are trying to conform their products to look this permanent way. And then the consumers are looking for that permanent way of all the vegetables looking a certain way. But for us, understanding impermanence, we know that not every carrot grows the same way. We know that not every potato grows the same way because of impermanence. So we should feel perfectly comfortable buying potatoes of different shapes and sizes and knowing that that's okay because that's what nature is. That's the natural law of existence is impermanence. And the more that we do these kind of things, the more that the grocery stores will feel comfortable in putting out produce and vegetables that will still be purchased because people understand impermanence. And this can be really helpful rather than throwing out or discarding these vegetables that don't look exactly perfect, they can be used as part of our food supply and we don't waste those resources in chucking out those products that don't look the same as everything else. Okay, we have a comment from Amina. She says, we are careful about turning off lights in the house and using as little water as needed. In the kitchen, we grow herbs and often make recipes from food that is about to spoil to avoid waste. I am a vegetarian and my husband and daughter have cut back significantly on their consumption of meat. Yeah, this is wonderful. You know, we were taught growing up as kids always about turning off lights and making sure that we're only using the amount of electric that we need and ensuring that, you know, we did it because my family didn't have much money and they were ensuring that their electric bill wasn't very high, which, yeah, great. It helps us, right? Because we don't have to pay very high electric bills, but it also helps the planet too. So that's something that we can all be aware of and conscious of that, you know, if we're in a room, use lights. And if we're not, then turn it off. Here in Thailand, we use these electrical air condition units. I'll just turn my computer so you guys can see it. We have these little units up here like this, that when you go into a room, you turn it on. And then when you leave, you turn it off and you're only using air conditioning in the room that you're actually in. There is no centralized AC in homes pretty much in Thailand. I'm sure somewhere it exists, but the predominant way of cooling environments indoors is using these little units. And I think that they must save an enormous amount of energy throughout Thailand because of that. And then when you need to replace it, you just replace that one rather than the entire system in the whole house. So it's a lot more economical as well. And these little kind of things like this can really improve our use of resources. Most toilets in Thailand, they'll have two different buttons for flushing. You know, if you use number one, there's one button to push because it doesn't take as much water to get rid of urine. And then if you do number two, then you press a different button and that takes out, you know, more water to get the solid waste out of the, the toilet. And you'll see this pretty much in all toilets in Thailand. And they do this throughout Thailand. 
that they really conserve water that way. So if your community doesn't have that, or if you're looking to replace your toilets in your house at some point because it's gotten to that time where you need to replace, you can actually do that. You can purchase a toilet that has kind of two buttons on it. One of the things that I used to do in America a long, long time ago, you know, in America, there's like one tank on the back of a toilet and there's one flush and it's the same amount of water every single time. Well, one of the things that I learned is you can take like a half a gallon of like a milk bottle and you can fill it up with sand or rocks and you can put it into the back tank of your toilet so that when the water comes into the back tank, it doesn't need as much water to fill it up because you've taken up more space in the back of the tank with this half a gallon of milk. So you can use solid containers in the back tank of your toilets so that you don't need as much water to fill up the tank. So when you flush the tank, that there's not as much water that is used to get rid of whatever waste is in the toilet. This is something I did a long, long time ago. I saw somewhere and I did that in different toilets that I was using as part of our home. So even if you're not going to replace your toilet or it's not time to replace your toilet, one of the ways that you can save water is you can find something like some container to take up more volume in the back of your tank so that you don't use so much water when you're flushing your toilets. This can be really, really helpful for water conservation, as well as changing your faucets, whether it's a faucet or a shower or something like this. They now have nozzles that are water saving nozzles and they even have light bulbs now that take up a lot less electric and they last for a lot longer. So there's all these different options of ways you can, as you're replacing your light bulbs or as you're replacing certain devices in your home, is looking for more efficient ways of outfitting your home in your daily life. Because that way, like the thing with the toilet and putting a container in the back of the toilet, you just do it once and then you don't have to think about it anymore. It's just always there where like when we go to the market, we have to consciously think to always take a bag with us. And we just have made that part of our human behavior now. But some of these things that you can do, you can just set it up once and be done with it. And then you're just always saving water or always saving electric. Yeah, no, I'd also like to echo Amina's comments about meat consumption, because our farming of meat, especially some of the larger animals like cows and uh, sheep, use an exceptional amount of resources and water and there's also many other reasons why it might be good to eliminate meat consumption so i think moving towards gradually reducing and then eliminating meat from one's diet is just a, a great thing to work on as part of this path so thanks for bringing that up amina yeah not only does it help you because meat has in it all kinds of drugs toxins hormones and if you're currently eating meat you don't realize exactly what that's doing to your body and if you get upset stomach or vomiting or diarrhea you might not relate it to meat but that bacteria in the meat and certain feelings that you get in the body When you get rid of meat out of your diet, within about two or three months period, you're going to notice all these changes in the physical body and how the mind functions. And by six months time of getting rid of meat, not only are you getting rid of the meat, you're getting rid of those drugs, hormones, and toxins that are in the meat. So you're not ingesting that stuff any longer. 
And that's going to drastically improve the body because there's all kinds of research that shows that the body has so much more sickness when you're eating meat. And part of that sickness is due to the drugs, toxins, and hormones that you ingest as part of the meat. But then additionally, what Max was talking about is, you know, in order to grow a cow, you have to first grow the food for the cow. You have to grow the corn or the grain or whatever. And that takes an enormous amount of resources of water and gasoline and everything else to grow that food. Then the cow has to eat that food and the grain and whatever else and the water and everything else. So, you know, one kilo of flesh of a cow takes up X number amount of water and resources to grow that one kilo of flesh. But then you take that same amount of water and you put it into a plant-based food system and you can get, you know, huge multiple of kilos. You know, it's, it's enormous the amount of food that you can generate from that same amount of resources that generated that one kilo of meat. You can generate all kinds of plant-based food with that same amount of resources. So not only are, can we generate more food if we direct our resources to a plant-based food system, but then in eating a plant-based food system, you're gonna notice that your body and your mind is gonna be much healthier as a result. Okay, let's go to James, whose hand is up. Over to you, James. One suggestion that I would make based on one's living environment, if it allows that, would be to grow one's own produce because a lot of the environmental costs come with transportation and if we can eliminate that then that can be a huge impact and it also allows one to have a wholesome pure diet and it can allow one to feel more connected to the earth to grow their own foods like that very good point that can be really fun and really exciting to grow your own food you know we've got a very very small little land here i mean i would say 10 by 10 is kind of what we still have dirt But my wife this year, she planted some chilies, some Thai chilies. She planted some cucumbers, these little cucumbers. She planted, I think some tomatoes were out there, some Thai eggplants, which are kind of small. And she just loves it so much, you know, going out there, spending time in the garden, watering the plants, the joy that she gets from seeing the plants grow. And then every once in a while, going out there and harvesting what it is that grew when she brings it in it's it's quite joyful it's quite fun you know the the amount of money that she spent to grow those things in that small little area is probably more than if she would have just purchased them at the store but like you said james there's a certain connection that comes with growing your own food and knowing that you can do that and it helps us to get more connected to the earth and we have all these green plants around the house which makes it much more friendly, more comfortable. You also get the oxygen as a result of these plants growing. You get fresher air. It's a really enjoyable activity to have. Even if you have just a small little plot of land, you can still kind of find ways to do that. I'd like to ask a question, David. So I think we can all agree that in the last 50 years, especially, but also way beyond that, you know, we as humans have made a real mess of this planet. We've really done a big dent in biodiversity and huge number of carbon emissions, etc. Now, there is a view that if we don't enter panic mode now and devote every aspect of our focus immediately to solving this and just cut back on everything, then there's no world tomorrow. Like we're all going to die. Uh, and 
you know, on one hand, you can understand the urgency there and you can understand the desire to want to go out there and really just do everything we can to change it. But is that a wise approach? Do you think there's a middle way we need to find here? My thought is that we should never be panicking. We should never be in panic mode because this is discontentedness. And when we're in panic mode and there's discontentedness there, then we can't gather the wisdom and make good, important, wholesome decisions to improve the condition of whatever it is that we're trying to improve. So there's not going to be, unless there's kind of a mass extinction, I don't see a situation where you know, we do this or else tomorrow we're all going to be dead. That's not going to happen. We know things happen gradually. And, you know, the scientists have been warning us for a good 20 or 30 years now. And people just haven't heaved their advice, right? Because we all get really complacent. And it's really hard to change human behavior because we all are craving permanence in this unenlightened mind. People don't want to change, right? Because the mind is holding on and holding on and holding on. So the scientists have really increased over time more and more their warnings and helping us to understand this. But still, even at this moment, panic isn't going to help. What's important is that the world leaders come together and figure out what they can do on the world stage in order to improve their individual countries and how their countries interact with the world. Because it's really those people that are going to have the most impact. So prime ministers, presidents, kings, CEOs, queens, you know, women that are in power, people all over the world that are currently in leadership positions and they can implement things. Those are the best people to actually influence large numbers of people and doing it in a gradual way without panic is going to have the most benefit. Whereas if people are doing it out of fear and out of panic, it's not going to have a tendency to motivate people in the best way because as soon as that fear and panic's gone, then people will tend to revert back to their old behaviors. So if we're only changing behavior because of fear, as soon as that fear is gone, then the behavior reverts. What needs to happen is there needs to be wisdom that is shared into the world and realize that we're making these good, wholesome decisions out of good, wholesome choices based on the wisdom of what we need to do to improve the planet. So all of us can make our own individual choices, but as a whole, the entire world and individual leaders in each of their various roles, they can make individual decisions as well. Whether it's the presidents, prime ministers, kings, queens, CEOs, leaders in communities, you know, these are the kind of people that can influence large numbers of people. But for us in our role, you know, we can influence our life and our decisions as well as anybody who is interested in learning what it is that we're up to and what we're doing. Right. Yes. Okay. And so it seems that it's on all of us and this is very much a shared issue. And yet if we all make wholesome decisions ourselves, but there is some other major country out there who decides to throw all of that out the window and by themselves can do a substantial amount of damage. To what extent do we experience the results of that? How does camera operate in that kind of situation where we're all making good wholesome decisions but we live on this planet together and there's still another entity or another country out there that is just completely ignoring everything that we've suggested and is still wrecking the planet yeah so when Gautama buddha taught 2500 years ago it was a very different world back then you know the human population was much smaller 
the effect of group populations making decisions was very small. The world wasn't interconnected the way it is today. So what Gautama Buddha taught is people who are making decisions, they are the owner's heirs of their gamma. So when we make certain decisions, that gamma affects us. And that's wholeheartedly true that if I choose to eat meat, then that choice to eat meat is affecting this physical body and this mind. Or if I choose to speak without those five factors of well-spoken speech, that choice to not speak that way is affecting me, right? You can see that clearly in his teachings and you can see that how the natural law of gamma works. With that said, what I've also observed is I've observed this kind of community gamma that is based on community decisions. This community decisions comes from individual decisions. So our individual decisions affect us, but also our individual decisions bubble up into kind of this community gamma. A good example of that where things went wrong is maybe like in like World War II, where you had Hitler who was making certain decisions but a lot of people followed him. A lot of individuals made individual decisions that followed him. And there was a lot of problems throughout the world based on all those people in that region of the world putting all this harm into the world. Well, eventually that all came back to them, right? Like there was a lot of problems that happened in Germany after that where they were kind of pushed off the world stage and they really suffered in a lot of ways. But now things have been repaired all these years later and they've extinguished that unwholesome gamma as a result of World War II. So whether it's good, wholesome decisions or unwholesome decisions, our good, wholesome and unwholesome decisions affect us individually, but they also bubble up into a community as well. So a more localized example of this is like this village that we live in here. There's about 120 houses. And individually, if we individually choose to clean our trash and make sure our trash gets out and make sure that, you know, our village is fairly clean on an individual level, then as a whole, our entire village experiences a cleaner village and maybe the property values are a little bit higher but that is still based on individual decisions, but it just kind of bubbles up as a lot of individuals making good, wholesome decisions. So while we have this overall gamma, it's still based on individual decisions at the individual level. So if all of us in the world chose to make good, wholesome decisions for the environment and we were going in that direction and there was just one country or three countries that chose not to follow suit, well, the vast majority of the world is moving in the right direction and we're all making good, wholesome individual choices. And I would imagine that probably because of these three countries not making really good decisions, I would imagine the vast majority of the world probably wouldn't be interested in doing business with them. They probably wouldn't trade with them. They probably wouldn't buy products from them. Those three countries would really suffer as a result of their gamma, their decisions not to join the rest of the world in this better way of interacting with the climate. I imagine the rest of the world would say, well, we probably aren't going to do business with them then. And that's what we do on a localized version, like what James was talking about, is patronizing businesses that are making good, wholesome choices at a worldwide level. 
there's countries that are allies of each other, trade with each other, interact with each other based on good, wholesome decisions that they're making at a country level. And then if there's countries that aren't making good decisions, those countries are usually suffering economically as a result because they haven't decided to kind of join the rest of the world in making these better choices for the environment. And that's their gamma as a result. Thank you. That's explained it really well. That's very interesting. So in making good, wholesome decisions by ourselves, we experience benefits from that regardless of what others may choose to do. Mm-hmm. And so even if there's a minority that aren't uh, behaving in a harmless way towards the planet, we can still experience the results of our decisions and also know that we're not causing that harm. And likewise, for those minorities, um, for the, the minority countries that maybe choose not to um, and by minority, of course, I mean, you know, they're not, they're not part of a wider decision to do, do no harm. They will then experience some other unwholesome results from that, which may ultimately provide the impetus for them to actually just kind of join the rest of the world in making good decisions. Right. Eventually, if they see their gamma close enough and they understand it, they may make decision to improve their conduct. But let's just say these couple of countries they don't join the rest of the world in this harmlessness of the climate. Well, they're not training their population to practice harmlessness. So they're going to have a lot of problems there, not just economic, but if they're not practicing harmlessness toward the environment, then they're not practicing harmlessness toward each other either. So there's probably going to be a lot more murders. There's going to be a lot more fighting, a lot more rapes, a lot more drug abuse a lot more political instability in those countries because the leaders of those countries aren't choosing to teach their citizens harmlessness and being part of the wider international community. So there's multiple harms that are going to come to those people. And that just happens by way of gamma. We don't have to expect that to happen. We don't have to make that happen. It's just going to happen by itself. That's the way the natural law of gamma works. But we shouldn't allow the decisions of those individual countries who aren't joining this you know, harmlessness approach, we shouldn't allow their decisions to affect our decisions. We need to do what we know is right and making sure that we're practicing in a way that improves the condition of the world because we know it's the right thing to do and not everybody's going to be on board from the very beginning it's impossible for everyone to be on board because of that would be permanence right but over time as say 70 percent of the world moves in this direction over time more and more people will join that because they'll see it favorably and they'll see it in their best interest to do so they'll hopefully see that sooner rather than later But if they don't see it, they're still going to be suffering from the results of their decisions inside their country. Right. Okay. Thank you, David. So we have a comment from Bill. He says, here in Chiang Mai, I have purchased sets of takeout containers that I take to restaurants and food courts. I pack them with me in my backpack or gym bag. I also use a reusable water bottle to take to the gym as they have a filtered water dispenser. I also bring plastic bags with me when I go down to the food stalls across the street from my condo. And uh, he says that he uses them multiple times. Okay, so yeah, thank you, Bill. That's a very good idea, Bill. I haven't thought about that because, you know, Bill and I are both here in Chiang Mai and 
you know, I, I'm sure Bill does the same as I do. Is I, we buy food outside all the time because it just doesn't economically make sense to go to the store, buy your own food, and prepare it. Here in Thailand, food is so inexpensive. Everyone pretty much buys food already prepared outside. And I've always been wondering about all these plastic bags that they put, you know, all of your food into. Because whenever you order something like papaya salad or whatever it is, they're always putting it into bags. And I've haven't really thought of a way to actually get rid of those in my life. But Bill just shared that with me, so I'm going to actually start using that, where I can take containers with me, and rather than them putting it in their little plastic bags. I can just reuse the containers like Bill just talked about. That's a great idea. Thank you for sharing that, Bill. I'd like to share an idea here, and David. So clearly, there's something we need to do here with our own mind to cultivate a mind of harmlessness, and that has so many benefits, no matter where we're directing that, because of this influence we have on other people, not least that you've you mentioned here. But also, you know, there's a case to make sure that whatever we do choose to do, or whatever we choose to give, that it's actually Delivering maximal impact and maximal benefit. So, if we have a dollar to give away, like who is the best recipient of that? Where is that going to do the most good? And uh, there's a very interesting organisation I'm aware of, a charity called Effective Altruism, and they've looked at many, many, many different causes. And the idea is that they donate money to the most demonstrably effective causes and so for example you know if we have a, a billion dollars to spend would we be better off protecting the amazon rainforest or would we be better off developing some kind of you know carbon capture technology and you know these are really important questions like because we don't have unlimited resources and that's you know part of the issue and so for those of us that do have the the luxury of you know, some surplus resources, because there's a range of people on this call listening to this with a range of levels of resources and a range of carbon footprints and ecological footprints. And, you know, I think it is uh, not just, not really so much an obligation per se, but maybe an opportunity for those of us that do have some kind of spare capacity to offer something, give something that can be used effectively to, uh, you know, maybe undo some of the harm we've done and maybe push it in a positive direction. And so, yeah, I, this is a, a charity that I'm quite interested in. And they have certain ways of allocating money that can be very, very effective, for example, in reducing carbon emissions. And they found that one of the most effective things to do with carbon emissions is to donate to local communities in the Amazon. And they found that this actually just, like by orders of magnitude, was more impactful per dollar than some of the other ways of reducing impact. And they found that I think best calculation they could come up with suggested that it was to reduce one ton of carbon was equivalent to three or four dollars or something. Mm -hmm. So just really, really impactful ways of using resources. And so I think it's it's important to think about our own practice in our own mind and, and what we're cultivating, then in doing that, how, how are we using the resources where others can use them in the most effective way? Yeah, that's a great, great thing, Max, is really looking of where your donation can have the most benefit. Yeah, for sure. That's something that 
we can all do as we find ways to be generous in the world. I'd like to ask another question, actually, David. So mm -hmm. we talk about you know doing harm to the planet, and clearly what we've been doing hasn't worked because for for decades, as a culture, we've almost behaved as though there is just this unlimited sink that we can exploit in the planet, and that's clearly not true. But on the other hand, everything we do could be argued as doing some kind of harm. Like every time we get in our car, every time we buy a piece of food, there is some kind of use of resources there. So with that in mind, you know, how can we know what the middle way is and where should we each draw that middle as individuals? Yeah, so what I think about is I think about the least impact, right? There were times where I was really interested to minimize my impact in the world and I did things like took public transportation, right? And that was like really helpful and beneficial at those times in my life and I was able to do that. Where now with an eight-year-old child and my wife, to take public transportation everywhere we go, it's not really practical because the directions and the places we have to go in this particular city, public transportation isn't really an option for us in most situations. So we do have a car, we have one car, and then we have motorbikes as well, which motorbikes take very little gas to use those. So, you know, we might use like three liters of gas per week, you know, using one of those. Whereas if we used a car, maybe 20 liters of gas in a week for the same thing. So I tend to ride on motorbike a lot because it takes very little fuel consumption and I can get a lot of distance. So this is where like everybody's practice is going to be unique. I talk about this, how there's the Buddhist teachings, but then how each of us choose to practice these teachings is going to look unique to us, where some people, depending on their travel and their route, there's lots of people here that do take public transportation. They live in a certain area and they're going in the direction of public transportation, and that works out really wonderful for them. But for me, that doesn't work out. So it doesn't mean like they're good and I'm bad, you know, this good and bad or right and wrong thing, you know, we got to get rid of that and just realize the impermanent nature of all these various decisions that we make in the world and just work on improving our life practice where we have less and less and less of an impact and less and less and less harm that we're causing in the world based on the things that we do. Even things like I'm seeing more and more people in Thailand now ride bicycles. You know, this has a very little footprint in terms of, you know, using fossil fuels and things like this. So more and more we can make these kind of decisions, but not every decision is right for every individual. You know, when I was living in America to be able to ride a bicycle to work, it wasn't possible for me or to ride even a motorbike in America. It wasn't possible for me. But here in this culture, motorbikes are very well understood and people are aware of them and you know it's very easy to ride a motorbike here but if i lived in america i wouldn't ride a motorbike because people aren't familiar with them and it's quite dangerous in most places to ride a motorbike there so you've got to understand right like this is where the wisdom comes in this is where everybody needs to be a wise individual make good conscious choices wise decisions using this discernment of what's going on in your life, what are the variables, and then deciding what's the best way for you 
to make decisions that have the least impact in the world so that you're not harming and causing harm into the world as little as possible. Just walking out on the street, you're causing harm. You're going to be stepping on ants and spiders and there's going to be some amount of harm, but that's not your intention, right? You're not trying to intentionally go out and kill those ants and kill those spiders. But we just know by wearing clothes, you know, we had to wash clothes and we use detergent and, you know, these kind of things. So there's going to be impact to the environment because of human activity. But we've gone so far in one direction with what we've been doing with our human activity that now what the world needs to do is kind of bring that to the middle, but ensuring that we don't overshoot it and we go to the point where there's such an enormous amount of uncomfortableness with these decisions that life becomes almost unbearable. So we got to find that middle. And for me, you know, I've gone in the direction where we had two or three cars in the household that didn't feel right. I've gone in the direction of public transportation everywhere that didn't feel right. And then coming to the middle where now we have one car or it's a truck and then we have two motorbikes. And that works out really well for us. And we know that that's what this house needs in order to provide transportation. So it's all about changing our human behavior and making sure that we bring things to the middle and where that middle is for each individual is different. So like, for example, Bill lives in the same province or the same state that I live in. He lives in the city. I live a little bit further out. I don't think Bill has a motorbike. I think that he takes public transportation everywhere he goes. And that works for him because he's in the city and he can pretty much walk everywhere. Where for me, that's not practical. I need some kind of transportation living out here. And that doesn't mean that Bill's right and I'm wrong or I'm right and Bill's wrong. It's just, it's a different lifestyle, but we all find unique ways to ensure that we're causing the least amount of harm as possible. Speaking of transportation, Michael has commented that uh, Tesla and electric cars can be great alternatives. And I concur, it could be quite an interesting solution for the future, at least part of it. Yeah, we're seeing more and more companies that are realizing that there's a wonderful opportunity for them to move in this direction because more and more individuals like us are choosing to purchase products that are environmentally friendly and have very little impact. And for businesses and people who are into that kind of thing, there's a great opportunity here for people to create businesses that are based on producing products that all of us are interested in purchasing because they have very little impact on the world. And also speaking of transport, uh, it's very surprising how much carbon is emitted when we take long haul flights around. You know, you can, you can easily double your annual carbon emissions if you take a couple of long haul flights around the world. So I think uh, one thing to be conscious of you know, in the future is do we need to necessarily travel halfway around the world for a holiday? You know, maybe we can holiday more locally or in our home country because you could spend, a, depending on where you are, you could probably spend a lifetime exploring just your own country and still discover new things and new experiences. So do we necessarily need to be flying as often? It's a big consideration. Yeah, because of this craving desire attachment that's in the human mind, right? That longing with a strong eagerness, we become a very consumer-driven population. We have this 
consumption that we're always consuming and consuming and consuming and that's very expensive and it's also very detrimental to the environment through consuming so much and what you realize as you walk this path to enlightenment is as you start knocking down your craving desire attachment this mental longing with a strong eagerness you start realizing that it takes very very little to sustain your life in that is a really beautiful thing because you can really cut back your expenses. You can cut back your activity. I mean, I even think about, you know, I bring up my phone a lot of times because there were times in my life where I always had to have the most newest phone as soon as it came out. I just had to be on that newest phone and I just upgraded and upgraded and upgraded and upgraded. And that was so expensive. And I imagine that that also produced a certain amount of harm to the environment because of the manufacturing and all the other things that go into packaging and producing products. But now when I bought this phone two and a half years ago, it was already an old phone. This is iPhone six. And I think they were on the iPhone nine or 10 when I bought this. Now they're on iPhone 12. Well, I'm perfectly content with this iPhone six and I'm going to use it until it no longer is usable. And that is fine because it provides what it is that I need. I don't need to have the latest, greatest phone. And just those kind of individual choices by you knocking down your craving, desire, attachment, not being this consumer who's always consuming, then you're actually helping the planet and you're helping yourself as well. But then you're going to have the marketing, right? You're going to have businesses that are trying to persuade you to consume and consume and consume and consume. And this is where through you training the mind, then controlling the mind by you having the control that you can see these advertisements, you can see the things that are being flashed in front of your eyes, but you're not persuaded by it. Because if you know where you are on the path and you know that you don't need to have the latest, greatest everything in order to sustain your life, that can be really beneficial for you because as you see all these advertisements and all these things going on in the world, your mind isn't persuaded to consume and consume and consume. And this comes with control of the mind. And this is where your mind becomes liberated because if every little advertisement you see, if it motivates your craving and you've got to lurch out and long with a strong eagerness to grab that product and you think that that product is going to create fulfillment for you, then your mind isn't liberated yet. Your mind is still easily persuaded by any little message that comes in front of you and you're lurching out for all these products. And you can realize through eliminating your own craving, desire, attachment, that you can live a very peaceful and content life with just a phone or just basic things that you need. You don't need the latest, greatest everything, but you're going to have motivation of people trying to motivate you and companies trying to motivate you that you do need these things. And that's where your mental control comes in and being able to have that mental discipline to recognize it as craving and just say, hold on a second. What do I really need here? I need a mobile device that I can keep in touch with people when I'm outside. And do I really need to go from the iPhone 6 to the iPhone 12? Because that's a big cost for me to be able to do that. And I don't know that I necessarily need to do that. And by making those conscious choices, you're helping your wallet, you're helping your life, you're 
helping the planet, but you're also liberating your mind from these constant messages that we oftentimes get bombarded with. What role do you think that law, regulation and policy can play in our joint journey towards reducing our harm? That's up for lawmakers to decide. My role is to share teachings of craving, anger, ignorance, the self, the ego, this Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path, all these other good, wholesome teachings. Because if those teachings are shared into the world and lawmakers are aware of these conscious things, they will make the laws that they feel are best in their best interest for their country and their community. They are, of course, lawmakers are leaders and they're kind of setting the tone for large populations of people. So my role is to share these teachings into the world and then the lawmakers can decide if they are aware of these teachings, how they can potentially shape their laws of their countries or their communities in a way that would help people along this path to enlightenment through how they set up their community and their their laws within their various countries. Nice, got it. Okay. So we have a question from Michael. He asks, are you already causing harm if an unwholesome thought came up and you thought about doing it, but you didn't actually do it? The only harm that's being caused in that situation is your own harm, right? To your own mind. So you're not doing anything overt, right? You're not allowing that intention in the mind or that thought in the mind to come into your speech and your actions. So therefore, you're not causing harm externally. So no harm is going to come to you. It's just a matter of grappling with the thought in the mind. So as you progress, you know, when you were completely off this path and unaware of the path and even know that it existed, you had certain thoughts and those thoughts led to speech that harmed other people. It led to actions that harmed other people. And those harms came back to you. Where now that you're aware of this path, now you're not maybe causing as much harm through your speech and your actions, but you're still going to have the thoughts. And it's a matter of kind of extinguishing that and bringing it down more and more and more. This is why we call it not only the three poisons, the three unwholesome roots, but the three fires. Because what you're doing is you're kind of slowly diminishing and quenching this fire. You're kind of slowly putting it out. So on your path to enlightenment, you're going to start knocking down some of these big things like your actions and your speech that are causing harm in the world. But you're still going to have some thoughts. And over time, as you train the mind more and more, your thoughts will transform as well, where you only will have wholesome thoughts. But that's part of this gradual process of extinguishing these fires in the mind. Okay, we have a comment from Edith. She says that while sending money to the hospital, or any other cause I would add for that matter, is good, perhaps it shows that it is still necessary to name an established cause because it is not yet valued as important not to harm the planet in itself. Perhaps, you know, whatever it takes to motivate people in the right direction, you know, as long as it's a wholesome thing, you know, the way of moving people in a certain direction is giving them a choice. And the way that the ties did this whole bag thing is they gave people a choice. You can either select to use a bag or not. And for the people who choose not to use a bag, the money is going to go to this woman's hospital in Bangkok. 
And that was a good motivating cause to help people move in that direction. But then eventually people made those choices on their own to no longer use bags at all. And now it's a, I believe, a countrywide law because we, I don't see bags at any of the major retailers whatsoever. And the whole population has moved in that direction. So it doesn't really matter to me. Okay, well, you know, how much is doing no harm to the planet really implanted in people's minds? The goal is for all of us to move in the direction of not causing harm and what it takes to get people's behavior to move from here to here. If it takes sending money for a couple of months to a hospital, then fine. At least we get to the actual goal, which is people making wise, independent choices to no longer cause harm to the planet. And if it took a certain motivation of sending money to a hospital to do that, then okay, that's fine. But at least we got to the ultimate goal. Okay, thank you, David. It appears we have no more questions at this time. Okay, well, hopefully what today's discussion has done for you guys is shown you how this mind that we all live with as we grow up in this unenlightened mind, that it influences the things that we interact with on a daily basis, that the mind wants to hold on. It craves this permanence. It craves the permanence of seeing those vegetables look the same. It craves the permanence of wanting everybody in the world to do the same thing. It has these certain expectations and things that it, it's expecting in the world where if we understand this unenlightened mind and that we're all on this independent journey, but we really need to practice harmlessness as it relates to individual beings, but also as it relates to the world and the environment and the climate as well. And the only thing that we have to ensure and to motivate and show us that these are the right choices is this natural law of gamma. As we all make better and better choices in the direction of improving our individual decisions so that we're causing less and less harm in the world, we're going to see the condition of our climate improve and improve and improve. It's not going to be a really quick and rapid thing because we didn't get to this situation in a very quick time. It took many, many decades for us to get here. So to get us out of this, it's going to take some time. But we got to feel that little bit of urgency and not be complacent in our human behaviors and always looking for ways to improve. So like when Bill shared what he shared and some of the ideas that you guys shared, I'm listening and like, oh, wow, I can do that, too. I can do that, too. So hopefully not only did you get out of this talk about how the Buddhist teachings relate to us improving the condition of our planet because of this natural law of gamma. But hopefully you got some ideas of some things that you can incorporate into your life and you can improve some of the decisions that you're making in your life, because that's what this is really all about is changing our human behavior. And in doing so, by making better and better wholesome choices, we're going to experience more and more wholesome things in the world. And it's going to be a slow, gradual progression as the world continues to become more aware of these teachings and how the entire world can improve the condition of our mind and the condition of our life by making better and better choices in the world. So thank you for joining today's talk. Thank you for contributing your ideas and your thoughts. I listen to all of them and I think they're all wonderful ideas. I'm really pleased to hear that you guys are already doing things that are helping the world and that you're going to continue to look for more and more ways to do that. And 
as you progress, you'll just be able to more easily adopt better and better decision making in your personal life to ensure that you're causing the least amount of harm in the world, not only to beings, but to our planet as well. On Wednesday, we're going to be studying the Buddhist chanting. So anybody who's interested in learning Buddhist chanting some more and improving your practice, we're going to be doing that on Wednesday. On Saturday, we're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. That will be our very last session where all we're doing is meditation and student discussion because the session after that on Saturday, which is going to be the 9th of January, that's going to be our very first Pali Canon and English study group. So if you've gotten the Buddha Wajana books or you're going to be getting access to those, you should be reading that first part of this book, Dhamma Trails. You can be reading chapter one through, I think it's 25 on what we're going to be studying, but it'll only take you about 45 minutes or an hour to do that because they're really short chapters. So about two weeks from now on Saturday the 9th, we're going to be diving into that. And I'm going to help you guys learn the Buddhist teachings through the Buddha's words himself. That's on Saturday. And then next Sunday, we're going to be in chapter 22, which is mental health, a modern day delusion. I'm going to be helping you understand how any kind of conditions that you either have been aware of or people around you have been aware of or that maybe you've been suffering from yourself you can actually see how the Buddhist teachings will improve these conditions, whether it's depression, bipolar, schizophrenia, multiple personality disorder, anxiety, bulimia, suicidal thoughts, all of these kind of things that we are now told by a large population of people that this is mental illness and you need to take medicine to solve this problem. I'm going to help you see how by learning and practicing these teachings to train the mind, you can actually eliminate these symptoms from the mind and ultimately become symptom free. And the things that I share with you in that chapter, you will be able to read and learn from the chapter. But then we're going to be talking about it in class so that you can learn how we've completely misunderstood how the mind works and we've been labeling certain things as a mental illness when in reality these is just an untrained mind that the more it becomes trained you can actually eliminate things like depression and bipolar and all these other things that people are saying are mental illness are actually true symptoms that people are struggling with but the approach of taking medicine to solve it isn't quite working in our society but these Buddhist teachings will work. And there's been enough situations for myself that I experienced it, as well as students have studied with me who have experienced it as well, that you can completely move away from thinking or believing that someone is mentally ill and just look at it as an untrained mind. And the more you train the mind in the direction of enlightenment, the mind can become stable through this peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy, where it's no longer shaken up by these various cravings, desires, attachments. So we're going to be discussing that on next Sunday. But this week, feel free to study this chapter, ask any questions in the Facebook group, and then next week we're going to get into chapter 22. 
So thank you once again for joining. I appreciate all your contributions to our discussion. And I'll see you guys online in one of our future classes or in our Facebook group where we can spend time talking and discussing a lot of these teachings. So have a really wonderful day. We'll see you next time. Sawadikha. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment. Enlightenment.